Today's conversation is the podcast of the National Association of Evangelicals, hosted by Walter Kim, NAE President. Today's conversation is with Amy Black, Professor of Political Science at Wheaton College. The topic, Civics for Christians. Today's conversation is brought to you by Christian Community Credit Union, where faith and finances come together. You could save hundreds of dollars each month and get a free gift when you refinance your home loan with the credit union. Visit myccu.com slash NAE to learn more. That's myccu.com slash NAE. Join today and save. Christian Community Credit Union is not federally insured. Instead, each account is privately insured up to $250,000. Equal opportunity lender. And now, let's join in. I'm Walter Kim, here with Amy Black, who has been a professor of political science at Wheaton College since 2001. Amy earned her PhD in political science from MIT and her BA in government from Claremont McKenna College. Her research and teaching interests include religion and politics, the presidency and Congress. She is the general editor of Five Views on the Church and Politics, which covers the political thought of five theological traditions, Anabaptist, Lutheran, the Black Church, Reformed and Catholic. And she is the author of other books, including Honoring God in Red or Blue, Approaching Politics with Humility, Grace and Reason. Thank you for joining us, Amy. It's great to be with you, Walter. So, Amy, you have been interested in politics for a long time. Now, some of us may choose to dip in and out or maybe pay attention during a presidential election year. You have observed and closely studied politics for decades. What drew you into this particular area of interest? You know, it started actually in my home. From my earliest childhood memories, it seems like we were always talking about current events and what was happening in the news. And I was fascinated by elected officials and what they were saying and doing. When I was in high school, I attended a youth leadership conference, and there were a number of speakers, and one of them was the city manager of Dallas, Texas. And I was so intrigued to hear from her. I'd seen, you know, elected officials. I knew about the kind of people on TV, but the idea that there was someone behind the scenes who made government work, I found that fascinating. And I thought maybe that might be a good path for me. So I went to college, I studied government, was thinking about what to do next, and a professor encouraged me to keep going and to kind of stay in college, if you will, get my PhD and become a professor. And that's what I chose to do. But basically, I've been following politics much of my life, for good or for ill, and I'm trying to help my students navigate how to understand politics better. What an intriguing introduction to the world of politics from your youth and through your adulthood. So do you recommend that we all follow politics closely? You know, I think it is important that we follow the news and politics enough, enough that we have a sense of what's going on. I wouldn't say it's necessary for everyone to follow the news super closely, definitely not hours a day. Actually, in some ways, that sounds like a terrible idea. But we do need to follow um, politics enough that we know what's happening and know how decisions that elected officials are making might affect us, and more importantly, how their decisions might affect those around us. I also think it's important that we learn about politics from a range of sources and not just pick one favorite media outlet. So clearly, politics uh, is on your mind, uh, and 
it's something that you're recommending that we at some level engage with. Uh, but more fundamentally for our listeners, it, it's often faith that is our guiding principle and not just media outlets. Um, but the Bible doesn't actually have an example of a modern representative democracy like what we experienced in the United States. So how can we or how should we even think about applying scripture to our experience today? You know, Walter, you make such an important point. The Bible's not a textbook for how to participate in a representative democracy. And frankly, I think we are so blessed to be a part of this system, and it's a far cry from many of the oppressive regimes that we see in the Old and New Testament. So I'm glad we have a different system now. But even if the Bible doesn't speak directly to our system, you know, it does give us great tools to help us to participate well. I think of it as both setting some guidelines for us and giving us some principles that we can apply to politics. So some guidelines. Often, you know, we look at the opening passage of Romans 13. It tells us all authority is from God, to respect that authority, to understand where it comes from. And in the synoptic gospels, we have Jesus telling us to render unto Caesar what is Caesar and to God what is God's. This can be a little hard to figure out what that means, but we know that we owe some allegiance to our earthly authority, but we also know we all are, owe our ultimate allegiance to God. So those are some guidelines. And then some principles. There are many others, but a few that come to mind. Love for God, love for neighbor, care for the poor and the marginalized. The fact that all human beings are made in the image of God and are of infinite worth. I think if we ask our elected officials and if we think about their policies, do they uphold these principles or not? That's a good way to begin to apply the Bible to politics. So you talk about our allegiance and a primary allegiance to God, um, and then you bring into these uh, allegiances this notion of various principles, moral principles, our, our, our commitments, and then you engage with this notion uh, of our responsibilities to our surroundings, the, the culture, the society that we live in. Sure. But working this out um, within our U.S. system, um, with our responsibilities in terms of uh, voting, with our responsibilities in terms of our allegiances, do you ever sense that these responsibilities sometimes uh, overlap or sometimes actually butt up against each other? And then what do we do with that? What do we do with these responsibilities that overlap or sometimes conflict um, or are right. really complicated in how they interact? Yes, it can be super complicated. I think you're right, because so many of our responsibilities overlap and at times they conflict and then we have to figure out what to do. I think the place to start is to make sure that we keep our priorities straight, our responsibilities straight and in the right order. So first, foremost, above all, of course, our allegiance is to God. And we have to test all of our actions against that. We have to say, does this further God's kingdom or not? Is this policy in line with biblical principles or not? You know, as citizens, it's a great thing. Uh, citizenship is wonderful. I particularly, U.S. citizenship to me is an especially good thing. You know, the United States is a rich and powerful nation. We have great capacity to do good domestically and internationally. And I personally feel incredibly blessed and privileged to be a U.S. citizen. But I think we need to be good stewards of that citizenship. So we can vote, we can follow what government officials are doing, we can speak out if we're concerned, we can leverage our resources to help others who are less fortunate. But always, always that has to be done, first and foremost, remembering that our ultimate allegiance is to God and all of these other things have to come second. That's very helpful. 
and yet sometimes really hard as individuals are engaged in the political process. It has a way of drawing us in and uh, captivating our allegiances. And we certainly see that at times in our country um, and perhaps even now uh, more than ever. And yet churches are also struggling to um, remain nonpartisan, uh, recognizing that they're undoubtedly composed of viewpoints that are varied and that they want to maintain a witness uh, to the world that would welcome anyone through their doors. Uh, so even if churches seek to be nonpartisan, what about the individual believer? Should the individual believer join a political party, seek to influence a political party with an agenda from the inside? You know, I think it's really important. I would say should believers join parties? Absolutely. I want to see individual believers active in political parties. I want them to be salt and light. If we think about it, one of the best ways to influence the direction of political parties and of elected officials is working from within those parties, raising questions, sharing ideas, offering critiques when needed. This can happen obviously at the grassroots level when people are working on, on campaigns or they're part of a county party organization can also happen all the way up at the leadership level, helping direct priorities and policy choices. I want to see Christians involved in both parties at all those levels. You know, as a professor at a Christian college, I'm just delighted when I see my former students working for both Democrats and Republicans. I see them working on campaigns, on the Hill, on the executive branch. They can be bringing a distinctive Christian voice to both major political parties and trying to make a difference. And that, to me, is just a perfect part of our Christian mission. So that's the outward focus of the individual believer. I mean, engage in a political process uh, in the ways that you've described. But what happens when you're in church? Um, should these <laughs> individual believers seek to influence their friends uh, toward their political views? Well, I'll answer that question like I do so many things in class. Yes and no. So I think it just depends. If we think about it, it's, I think it depends on how we seek to influence. If Christians want to share their political views in open and constructive dialogues with their friends at church, if they want to listen to one another, explain their differences, I give that a hearty amen. We need more of this in our churches. But on the other hand, if Christians are seeking to influence by spreading rumors and lies, sharing divisive or hateful posts on social media, which we see happen all the time, I worry when I see that even within our churches. We need to learn to live together and love one another across our differences. And I definitely want the outside world to look at churches and see us in fellowship in Christ, showing love for one another. I don't want them to see hateful pride and divisiveness. But practically speaking, realistically speaking, what happens when members of different political parties find themselves in the same local church trying to have this conversation? Right. <laughs> Where the rubber hits the road, right? Mm. Hopefully. These people are going to love one another well and listen to one another. I think it's growing far too common for people to surround themselves only with friends who share their basic political views. We're basically getting lots of echo chambers where it's harder for people to know and understand what's really happening. Churches are one place where we gather across our differences. Political differences are just one of the many gaps across which we gather. And it's an opportunity for us to see how our unity in Christ is a far greater bond than anything that divides us. It always gets back to having to remember that our faith and our unity in Christ is what's first and foremost. 
personally, I'm blessed to be a part of a congregation where our members hold a wide range of political views. I'm glad we don't all agree with each other. Now, we don't always model it perfectly, but we can and do have meaningful, rich conversations across our differences. And more importantly, at the end of the day, we continue to pray for one another, we worship together, we care for each other as sisters and brothers. And I think that's ultimately what we need to be doing with, with everyone across political party. You know, what you're describing really seems like family life, right? I mean, it's one yes. approach to difficult conversations in family life to just simply avoid it. We don't want to deal with the, the pain of perhaps not being understood or the extra work that it takes to resolve a conflict when misunderstood or just the labor of making ourselves understood. And so, you know, sometimes families just don't want to deal with that and they avoid it. And yet they miss the opportunity for the intimacy that comes when you do that hard work of, uh, you know, bridging the gaps as you've described it. Um, so let's talk about voting. You know, if, if people have the opportunity, if they're eligible to vote, are, are Christians under a greater obligation to God to vote? Uh, and what about voting in a particular way? Well, I, I think voting is important. Uh, it's the bedrock of representative democracy. We show our consent to be governed. We have a voice in choosing who will represent us. That's really important. So voting is one small but important way that we can live out that command to love our neighbor because we're helping select those who are going to make decisions that shape everyone's lives. Now, how one votes, I think, is a different matter altogether. My hope is that as Christians, we take the right to vote seriously, commit the process to prayer and discernment. We can educate ourselves about the candidates, ask questions, and pray for the Holy Spirit to guide our decision-making. And I think that's the path. And some people, the Holy Spirit may prompt in different ways, but I think each of us before God needs to be prayerful about our decision. Hmm. I really like the thought that you put out there that voting can be an expression of loving our neighbor. I mean, that's really an interesting way of putting it. So, so what are some other general principles that Christians should consider in approaching voting decisions? Well, you know, if we look at our culture, it's pretty simple. We're told how to vote. We ask, what's in it for me? You know, what's going to make my life better, my life more comfortable? But as Christians, that's really not what we're called to do. Like we were already talking about, loving our neighbor is one of the great commandments. So I think we have to put aside that selfish, what is it in it for me kind of thinking, and we have to think more broadly about the common good and what it means for those around us. So the kinds of questions maybe we can ask. So things like looking at my choices, which candidate seems most likely to honor and respect people who are made in the image of God, to honor and respect their worth and value? I look at candidates and I say, how would their policies likely affect people in community? especially the most vulnerable in my community, who demonstrates the character traits that are best suited for making hard decisions in stressful times. So we try to sort of bring questions like this, principles like this, as we, as we come to vote. I think it's also really important to remember, particularly you know, in our two-party system, we only have two choices, and no candidate's going to be perfect. So we're likely going to disagree with each candidate on some things, and we're going to agree with them on others. So I think it makes sense that we need to, to sort of weigh our options, look at our two options, sometimes there are more than two, but look at our options and decide which candidate we think 
best lines up with our values and not expect someone to perfectly line up with our values. At the same time, though, if you don't feel like you can affirm either candidate, if you're not comfortable with either of them, my advice is always the same. Don't vote in that particular race. You can move on to other races in the ballot. You don't have to choose a person. You don't have to fill a bubble for absolutely everything that's on that ballot. You've alluded to a situation in which we have choices, um, in which we are partially satisfied with those choices, in which we may be dissatisfied with our choices. Uh, and yet these choices sometimes are presented to us in such polarizing terms. And yeah. we certainly seem to be living right now in a very polarizing time in which um, political unrest is not just possible, actually almost feels probable at times in our discourse. So in times of political unrest, what role should the church play? You know, I hope that our churches can be places of safety and comfort in times of unrest. Churches can reach out to the communities and try to bring people together across differences. We can also model unity, offering a positive witness that the ties that bind us in Christ are stronger than anything that could divide us. There's so much division out there, and we really have just, I think, such an amazing opportunity as followers of Christ to show what Christian unity looks like and how it makes a difference. I mean, one of the themes that I hear in our conversation is that uh, there's a difference between politics and policy. You, you've been drawing these distinctions uh, by raising up principles and ideas that uh, could be applied in a variety of different ways and are, in fact, applied in a variety of different ways, depending on which political party you are in. I'd like for you to define or help us to understand a little bit better what is, what is the difference between politics and policy? Sure. Well, you know, politics is really talking about a process. There's a definition I really like that says, politics is a process of finding imperfect solutions to intractable problems. So in other words, it's the hard stuff that's left. If something is easy to fix, government's already done it. So what we're left with are hard problems, problems that will likely really never be completely solved this side of heaven. And politics is that process of finding ways to address those problems, partially, imperfectly, but we hope trying to make things better. So that's a little bit about politics. Policies, policies is not the process, but it's the options. So policies are the different options that government considers when trying to achieve different goals. I think it's important for us to realize that on many issues, people across party lines actually agree on that end goal. I think it's fair to say we all would like peace. We all would like good health care. We all want to reduce poverty and its ill effects. We just disagree on the policy. What is the best route to achieve those goals? And politics is the process through which we work out those disagreements. That's really helpful. Do our responsibilities as followers of Jesus differ between the two, between politics and policy? Well, I think maybe the best place to start as we think about our responsibilities is just to recognize that politics is a flawed process, just like everything that's broken and flawed after the fall. So in politics, we have flawed people trying to find, make, trying to find ways to make things better for other flawed people. So if we know that politics is an imperfect process, 
um, we still need to um, think about it and we have a responsibility to, to help move politics along because it's a way of doing good things that can make lives better for many people. You know, elected officials present different policy options. They give us different paths. They're trying to make things better. So when I look at this, I see our responsibility really as twofold. One, I hope that we can give elected officials some grace, recognize they have really hard jobs. And at times, they can't even choose a good option. They're just choosing between bad options. So give them some grace. Give them some slack. Allow them to do their really difficult jobs. And thank God for them. And then a second responsibility, I think, is that we need to evaluate policy alternatives. So we need to educate ourselves and um, think about the different options and weigh which path forward seems to be the best path, the one that best shows love for neighbor. You describe a situation in which you know, we're facing intractable problems and we have imperfect solutions. And if, if it was easy, it, it's, it would have been already done. And now we're just left with right. the hard stuff. You know? and, and then you mix in within that hard work, difficult work, uh, the, the suspicion that seems to be so endemic now and the polarization. So is thoughtful, productive dialogue about politics or policy even, even possible now? And what would make it possible? <laughs> right. You know, I sometimes wonder, actually, I often wonder that myself, is this possible? And the thing is, it is possible to have thoughtful and productive dialogue, but it's very hard right now because we are living in such hyper-polarized, hyper-divisive times. There's this growing and I would say cancerous trend, social scientists like to give names to things, so we call it affective polarization. The idea here is that not only is the ideological divide widening, that's the polarization piece, but people tend to demonize those who are on the other side of that divide. And as long as people do this, as long as we view political differences in the terms of us versus them, good versus evil, it's really difficult and it might even be impossible, I think, to engage in thoughtful and productive dialogue because we just can't think of ways to want to talk to someone who we think is fundamentally evil, someone who is, is the opposite of everything we stand for. Now, of course, as Christians, we have to be the first to condemn this kind of divisive posturing. It makes sense that we're going to have differences. It is okay to be on opposite sides of issues, but it's not okay to hate the person who's on the other side. Again, we're called to love our neighbors. And even if you want to buy into the rhetoric that your political opponents are your enemies, we're actually called to love our enemies too. So either way you look at it, we need to be extending love to those who have differences. And I think here's what's so exciting to me. We do have a great opportunity to model charitable differences. We have an opportunity to show a watching world that political views do not define us as people, that do not define our worth in society. We're all Republicans and Democrats, conservatives and progressives. We're all made in the image of God and of infinite value to him. And if people would see us in the church modeling this kind of charitable difference, listening to one another, engaging in thoughtful and productive dialogue, what a great witness because it's sure different than what we normally see in the political realm right now. What you're describing 
kind of harkens to this, the old theological saw that um, we're called to hate the sin and love the sinner. And maybe the parallel is we're called to understand that there's a difference between the ideas and, and the people who hold the ideas. Right. That it's possible to vigorously dis disagree with the ideas and nonetheless still love the person that holds the idea. And, and yet that's supremely difficult because it's just a lot easier to lump the idea, the person all together and just be done with it. Um, but you're calling us to really hard work. And you keep on using the word love. And I, I wonder if this is in part what's driving this soon to be released documentary that you're working on for love of neighbor, politics for the common good. What do you hope that this film will accomplish? Um, you know, I hope that this film will encourage people not to give up on politics. You know, there's a lot of people, they look around at politics right now. It's so ugly. It's so divisive. There's so much hate, so much scorn. A lot of people are like, you know what? I don't want to have anything to do with that. So I want the film to encourage people not to give up on politics, but to see it as a possible force for good. And the real work of politics is that. It's caring for one another. There are lots of people behind the scenes who are working very hard to care for their communities, to make a positive difference, and politics is the vehicle they've chosen. It's one way. It's by no means the only way, but it's a very, very good way that we can live out that commandment to love our neighbor. So I'm hoping that the film inspires people to get more involved in politics, to look for ways that they can make a difference. I hope it inspires people to see a different narrative, to remind people that there are lots of good things happening behind the scenes in politics. We may not see it a lot on TV, but so much good is happening. And I want to point people, to remind people that politics is a place for Christians and that there's an opportunity for us to, to serve people through politics. So this documentary clearly reflects a, a passion of yours, as well as a perspective that you have, an invitation to look behind the scenes and to recognize that there are good things happening. What do you personally derive hope from? I mean, what gives you hope uh, in our current situation, an honest assessment of our current situation, the polarization, uh, and yet what drives you to actually experience hope? Well, I'm laughing because when I look at American politics right now, I just don't have a lot of hope. It really gives me, frankly, a lot of despair. I'm so grieved by the way people treat each other across political differences. I'm grieved by the deep and growing division. So in many ways, I feel pretty hopeless. But I'm not stuck there, and I'm grateful because the good news, and of course the very good news, is that politics politics is not the ultimate thing and we can trust that god is on the throne the maker the sustainer of the universe he's reigning and he's worthy of our ultimate trust so that gives me great comfort and great hope because i know i can place my trust in god and that one day all will be restored and that's where i want to focus my attention and that's where i want to place my hope that is a great final thought to leave us with our guest on today's conversation has been Amy Black, professor of political science at Wheaton College. I'm Walter Kim, and on behalf of us all, very special thanks to Amy. 
The National Association of Evangelicals is where we use influence for good. Today's conversation is one of many ways we connect and represent evangelical Christians in the United States. To discover more NAE topics and resources for you and your church, please follow along on Twitter at NAEvangelicals or on our Facebook page for the National Association of Evangelicals. And sign up for our email list when you visit our website at nae.net.